Well, good morning, everyone. If you uh, have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to turn to Job chapter 1. It's the book right before uh, the book of Psalms, which takes up a large section of the Old Testament. Um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, of course, you can follow along in the, on the screen as well, just behind me. Uh, this uh, winter, what we've been doing is we have been taking a hard look at how we as people of faith uh, should face hardship. Um, we face hardship in, in big and little ways every day. Um, and what does it mean for us as people of faith to really tackle those troubles and those uh, adversities that life throws our way? And uh, in order to do this, we've been looking at, at two different men um, in the Old Testament who both faced uh, really unspeakable hardship. Uh, for the past four weeks, we've looked at the story of Jonah and he faced a lot of hardship, but it was really his own doing. He, he suffered a lot, but he suffered uh, because of his own disobedience to God and his own sinful rebellion. But now what we're going to do is we're going to turn for the next two weeks to look at the story of Job. And, and Job faced unspeakable hardship as well, but in his case, it had nothing at all to do with his own sin. Um, either way, both men had to find a way to trust God in the midst of their hardship, which leads us to our guiding question all throughout this series, which has been, how do we find the strength to trust God with whatever hardship or adversity or trouble that we're facing at this moment? Uh, as Mark mentioned earlier, our adult formation is looking at the, the book of Screwtape Letters, and um, what this book does is it it lifts the veil on the spiritual realm as, as, as it looks at one demon uh, counseling and advising another demon on uh, how to tempt a Christian. Uh, Lewis, when he wrote it, said it was the most depressing thing that he had ever written in his life. He couldn't wait to be done with it because it cast such a big cloud on his life. Uh, but what it offers us is this glimpse at the spiritual realm. And as we turn to the book of Job, as a reader, we get a glimpse of this very same spiritual realm, but it's a glimpse that, that Job, the central character of our story, never receives. Uh, we know why he suffers in the book, but he, that answer never comes to him. He never truly receives an understanding of it. And so as we think about that, um, again, turn to Job chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 12, then I'm going to skip ahead uh, to 20 to 22, and then read verses 9 to 13 in chapter 2. So this is God's word. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. 
Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and and his possessions and have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Skipping forward to verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now skipping ahead to chapter 2, verse 9. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women who speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own uh, own place Eliaphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Father, thank you for uh, just the chance to worship this morning together for um, the gift of the songs that we sang, the reminder of your character uh, from our confession of faith, the opportunity to remind ourselves of our own sinfulness and how your grace is bigger than our sin. Great opportunities to refresh our hearts in the truth of the gospel. Father, we pray as we come to this uh, ancient story in the Old Testament that you would speak to us through it, that we would hear your voice, and that we would leave here changed as a result. Help us to be a people of faith who tackle the troubles and adversities of life the way our hero Job does in this story. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. So I've read the book of Job my whole life, largely, and, um, but we've, I've never done a sermon series on it. And so I've really dug deep into this book this week, and I've sort of walked away with this guiding question that's really uh, just plagued my heart all week as I've thought about this story and my own life. And it's something I'd want you to personally consider as well over the next two weeks as we look at Job. And the question is this, take a moment, and, and think about all the blessings that you have in your life. 
Uh, think about friends you have that, that provide camaraderie and support. Think of uh, your family, of parents, of, of children, of grandchildren. Think of uh, the blessings that come uh, in life, whether it's, it's homes that we live in, whether it's wealth, cars, bank accounts, all those things. Uh, think about um, your health that you have, even sitting here this morning. And now imagine that God takes it all away in a blink. Just imagine that. In a blink of an eye, all of it's gone. And you have no answer whatsoever as to why all of it has disappeared in a moment's notice. And here's the question. Would you still be able to love and trust God through it all? That's a question that's plagued my heart this week and one that I want you to consider as well. Well, as one commentator wrote, you can divide Job's stories into four chapters, really. His, his character, his losses, his search, and his discovery. And so what I want us to do over the next two weeks is look at that. And this morning, to look at these first two chapters of his story as we consider what it means to trust God with our hardship. And so all of it starts with this man and his character. And it tells us right off the bat what type of man Job is. Verse 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And so the first verse of this book introduces us to our test subject, and it tells us that Job was blameless and upright. Now, what we know is that James, or Job was, of course, not a, a perfect person. Um, he uh, had original sin. He struggled with sin, just like you and I do. But he was a man who understood what it meant, what it meant to be saved by faith and grace. And we know that he took his faith very seriously. We learn that he was a man of big wealth, of big family, and of big faith. He immediately describes to us his wealth, but it tells us about this in terms of livestock. And in agrarian societies, that's the way a person's wealth was counted. It was how they, they built their financial portfolio, if you will. And it tells us he had thousands of sheep and camels. He, have, he had hundreds of oxen and donkey. He had many slaves. It tells us that there was, he had wealth like no other, right? So if you want to imagine, he's the Jeff Bezos of his culture in the East, the writer tells us. He's the greatest of all the people of the East. And so he had a big wealth. But we also learn he had a big family. He had seven sons, three daughters, and remarkably, they enjoyed each other. They had big family dinners every night, and they rotated amongst people's houses as they had these big feasts every night together. So he had a big family, but lastly, we learn he had a big faith. Not only did he, he care deeply about his own personal faith, but we learn that he cared deeply about the faith of his children as well. And so he would offer sacrifices for them in case they had sinned against the Lord. And he would wake up early each morning to go and offer these sacrifices, making him in many ways the priest of his own family, the intercessor before God for his own family. And all of this together commended him before God. God, who sees all things, commended him as blameless and upright, 
there is none like him on earth. Now that's a ringing endorsement from God himself. What an endorsement that is. And so we learn all this about Job. We learn all this about his character, but we also learn that all of it is lost in a blink. And we're left with this question, could his faith handle all of his losses? He first learns that his wealth has disappeared. All his livestock has been taken or killed. His servants are killed by uh, a group of marauding bandits in the east, neighboring bandits who take their lives. The remaining sheep and servants are, are killed by a fire that comes down from heaven. And so all of his wealth is gone in just a moment. Next, he learns that his family was dining all together at a family dinner and a great wind comes along and all of the members of his family are killed in an instant. And yet Job, in spite of all this, says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In chapter two, we read that Job Job is uh, struck with sores, a disease that covers his entire body, and we leave him sitting outside of the city on a dump heap, scratching himself with broken pottery. He bears torn robes and he wears ashes, a sign of grief in the ancient world. And as we find him in this moment, this is perhaps one of the saddest and most depressing scenes in all of the Old Testament. Why? Because all of this greatness, all of these wonderful blessings are gone in a blink. And the why of it all is what makes this passage really difficult, not just for Job, but for us as readers as well. You and I, we can can sort of understand hardship that comes as a result of sin. You know, we live in a world that is is cause and effect. And, And many times, if we look at our own lives, we recognize that a lot of the hardship that we suffer and the troubles we suffer are things that we have brought on ourselves. That was certainly true of Jonah, who we just spent four weeks considering. He caused his own pain. So we can understand hardship as a result of sin. And I think we can also understand hardship as protection. And what I mean by that is this, if, if my kids reach out and touch, try to touch the stove and I pull their hand away, they might view that moment as a hardship coming from their father. But what am I doing? I'm protecting them from a greater hardship that they could be experiencing. John Newton spoke about a suffering now uh, that prevents greater evils later. And to flesh this out, Tim Keller, in in one of his books, uh, retells an old fable uh, that he had heard. I don't know if it's an Aesop's fable or whatever it is. But in this fable, it it introduces us to a wicked witch who has enchanted a cottage that's in the forest. And uh, the cottage has a, a really comfortable bed. And if you fall asleep in this comfortable bed, then uh, the occupant will turn to stone. And so the wicked witch has accrued lots of people who have turned to stone because of this enchanted bed. But she also brings in a servant girl who sees all these things that are happening. 
And that servant girl takes pity on guests. And the story goes that a guest comes in and wants an, uh, a comfortable bed to stay in through the evening. And the wicked witch shows him the bed and he gets in the bed. But what the little servant girl does, taking pity on this young man, is all throughout the night she throws little sticks and little stones into the bed so that the man can never fall asleep. The next morning he wakes up complaining about how uncomfortable the bed was and how he didn't sleep a wink. But the girl says underneath her breath, ah, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. Those were sticks and stones of love. You see, friends, sometimes I think God sends us hardship as protection. In love, he might throw some stones and some sticks of adversity, keeping us from a greater mystery. So that's hardship that comes from protection. Even that we can understand. But what about Job? His hardship is not a result of his sin. Everybody else thinks it is. His wife comes to him and says that she thinks it's because of his sin. He calls her a fool, which I would not suggest in any moment. Uh, his, his friends come and visit him. They're theologically astute friends. They think it's because of his sin, but in the end, we know that it isn't. We also know that it's not a hardship of protection either, and only the reader, you and I, we are the only ones that understand why, that it's a part of some cosmic plan or some cosmic struggle between the Lord and Satan. We get a window into that cosmic drama, but Job never does. All he's left with is pain and loss as he sits on a dump heap outside of the city. His friends come and visit him and they're so blown away by how pitiful this sight is in front of them that they weep, they tear their robes, and they sit in silence around Job for seven days. And in spite of all this, Job once again says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't that remarkable faith on display for us? Job was able to trust and even praise God in the midst of this unspeakable tragedy. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux was a, a medieval mystic, and uh, he wrote during this medieval period about uh, faith in God, and particularly his most famous work is called On Loving God. And he talked about either levels or degrees of loving God, and the medieval mystics loved to talk about these progressions. And so as he talked about love, he says, we are all born, all of humanity is born with a love of self for self's sake. And what he means by that is we're all born to love ourselves first and foremost and to look for, out for ourselves first and foremost above all things. But then he talks about a second degree of love that comes after we sort of discover or are discovered by our faith in Jesus Christ. He calls it a love for God for self's sake. And what he means is as our love for God evolves, the second degree is that we love God because of all the benefits 
that we receive from that relationship. And there are incredible benefits like forgiveness and adoption and uh, eternal life and all the things that come from the gospel. We love God because of all the blessings that he gives to us. But then he talks about a, a third degree, and that is where we get to the place where we love God for God's sake and God's sake alone. We love God for who he is, not just for the benefits that he gives us. We obey not because it's easy for us, but because it pleases the heart of God. We avoid sin because we don't want to grieve the heart of our God. And what uh, Bernard says is the way to progress through these degrees and through these levels to a pure love for God is through suffering. It's through trials, through adversities, through tribulations. You see, Job had experienced unspeakable tragedy. He lost it all in the blink. And as he sat on that dump heap outside the city, what is he doing? He's still, still praising and blessing God. Why? Because he loved God because of who God is, period. He didn't love him just because of the benefits. He loved God for his character. He loved God for who he is. Now, friends, we don't know who the writer of this book is. Um, in fact, we don't know who wrote the book. We don't know exactly when the book was written or uh, where it exactly takes place. We don't know entirely the location in which all of this happened. But what we do know is what the, that the writer of this book wants us to consider. This book is considered um, a wisdom literature, Old Testament wisdom literature, along with Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And, and all of those books, the intent behind them is self-reflection. And so that's what's true of the book of Job as well. It wants us to ask the question of our own lives, our own hearts, our own faith. Could you and I, could we love God through such unspeakable tragedy? Could we love and trust God when the why of it all remains a mystery? Do we simply love God because of the benefits that he gives us? Or do we love God for who he is? Do we love him for his character? Now, we're going to see next week, Job's about to go on a search with God. Uh, he's going to wrestle with the advice of all his friends for a lot of chapters. If you ever read the book, it, it's sort of relentless for a lot of chapters. His friends are, are theologically astute. They are well-meaning and they are dead wrong every single step of the way. Eventually, Job is going to ask God some really hard questions. He's going to hear from God and he's going to be utterly overwhelmed by what he hears and God's plan and his purposes will become even more mysterious to Job by the end of the book. But through it all, his love for God and who God is will grow more and more. But at the end of our passage this morning, what we see and what the book puts in front of us is this idea of an innocent sufferer. We see Job at the end of our passage bleeding outside of the city with a small crowd gathered around him to sort of gawk at himself and his own suffering. But the Bible ultimately talks about another innocent sufferer. 
This is the ultimate blameless one who suffered unspeakable tragedy as well. At one point, we also see him bleeding outside of the city with a crowd gathered around him, gawking at him in his moment of pain. He's also forced to trust God the Father in the midst of his pain and hardship. This innocent sufferer, our Savior, Jesus Christ, endured that hardship so that we would never have to be alone in our pain, so that we would never have to be alone in our trouble or our adversity. He was forsaken by God the Father so that you and I would never have to be. Because of Jesus, even if you and I do face hardship in this life, we will never need to face the eternal hardship of God's wrath. His character will never separate from the eternal blessings that we will have with him forever and ever. So as remarkable as Job is in this story, as remarkable as his faith is in the midst of unspeakable tragedy, as, as much as he feels like the hero of this story, what he ultimately does is he points us to Jesus, who is the ultimate hero of the cosmic story of redemption and the hero of our individual lives as well. Let's pray.